Hey, good morning. Hey, we are going to be looking at Philippians chapter 4 this morning. It's a famous passage. We're going to look at verses 4 through 12. So if you don't have a Bible and you, um, you want to follow along, these guys have them, gals maybe. Uh, put up your hand. They'll be glad to put one in your hand. And uh, that way you can follow along and, as we look at God's word this morning. Sometimes when, um, sometimes when you come and you're involved in a worship service, quote unquote, or church service, you come and you just do the church thing. Does that happen to you? You know, you just go through it and you sing the songs and you listen to the guy or the girl or whoever that's talking. And then you sing more songs because that's what we do. And we leave, right? And you go, well, that was good. And I met some friends and I had a good time. And then other times, and I do that often. And then in other times, um, um, God kind of, uh, kind of gets, gets a hold of my heart. And this morning, I kind of got ambushed because I wasn't even thinking about worship this morning until we sang that last song. Because I, I'm speaking, and it was on my head and my heart. What am I going to say? And then, you know, the whole concept did that I'm a child of God and that I don't have to live in fear. And that's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about something that I have been struggling with. Now, I've been a follower of Christ for a really long time, probably longer than most of you have been alive. Um, and that's really true. It's well over 30 years. And um, so, and I started doing some evaluation. I'd spent a lot of time, I'm in sales and I cover three states, and oftentimes I have to drive instead of fly. And, um, and so I'm in, I look at my dashboard a lot, and people say, well, what do you do, listen to music? And I don't. I don't listen to music, I, and I don't listen to talk radio because I'm stressed about the political situation right now, right? I mean, we're all kind of a little bit stressed no matter where you fall on that. You know, we just got to pray that God in his sovereignty will be gracious to us and give us what we don't deserve as a nation, his grace and his mercy and work in the midst of all of this. But, um, I, you know, but I don't listen to that because it stresses me. But, so I spend a lot of time just thinking in the car, and, um, and I kind of got to where I like it. Because I interact and I think sometimes, and the other thing I found is that I don't think. Have you ever, I cannot think. I can get behind the wheel and drive like 100 miles and not even know how I got from there to there. You know, which is kind of scary when you think about driving 80 miles an hour. But, um, but the fact is, is that this goes on in my life. But when I was doing, when I do my self-evaluation, I think that I've come to the conclusion that, you know, you begin to evaluate where, you're, where you need to put off things and put on more of Christ. And I think that the big, one of my biggest struggles right now is in the area of anxiety. And so over the last several months, I have been thinking through that and, you know, and studying and listening to some people um, preach and read, reading some things and all that. And, uh, and so this morning, it's not so much a sermon as much as I'd like to share with you some of the things that I've learned on how to deal with my personal anxiety. And hopefully it will help you as you deal with some of the anxiety that you may face in life. And that, therefore, that being said, will you, if you haven't already, turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to start in verse 4. This is a famous, famous passage. And as we read it, you go, oh, yeah, yeah. If you don't know Philippians 4, you've, you'll go, oh, I've heard that, and I've heard that, and I know that. And you may, have known, you, know, you may have memorized one of these verses, but listen how cool this is. And listen to these good words for us. Oh, you know what I was also thinking? When we were back there and we were worshiping, I said, look, you look at all these people standing up. Why do we stand up during worship? Because we are, in a sense, speaking out to God, right? We're worshiping in honor of him. And so this morning, as we read God's word, I thought it would be important for us to say, God, we're going to listen to you as you speak back to us through your word. 
and in doing so, we would honor him. So let's stand together as we read his word. And Paul writes this, Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is, de- the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned, for I have learned to be content in whatever, in whatever circumstance I find myself. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. May God bless the reading of his word. You guys can have a seat. So here we go. Things that God has been teaching me. Here it is. Philippians, God is teaching us and speaking us in this Philippians about what it is to have peace. And the opposite of peace is anxiety. And if you're like me, you can be anxious about a lot of things, which is kind of stupid. Um, I hear that, um, some, I, I was, as I was doing the whole study on anxiety, they said that the scientists have actually discovered that there's a gene that some of us have that actually inclines us to be anxious and worry about things. And so, and then, um, then I heard uh, John um, Ortberg say that, how do you know, you know, then you start thinking, well, do I have that gene, right? And um, he said, if you're worried that you might have that gene, then you probably have that gene, right? <laughs> if you're like, oh, I don't care, I don't know, then you may not. And may God bless you for that, right? But um, anyway, so here it is. The opposite of peace is, is anxiety. And Paul is telling us that we need to, to learn to deal with it. And that's what I love about this passage. If you read it, we think that, well, we shouldn't, we shouldn't have anxiety because we, uh, we belong to Jesus. We're, children, we're sons and daughters of God. We are children of God. Therefore, we shouldn't live in fear. But darn it, I mean, we live in fear. I mean, we freak out about grades, right? We freak out about um, the professors that we have. We freak out about our jobs and our bosses. We freak out whether or not we're going to be able to make ends meet. And, um, and I, I do the same thing. Um, just this week, my wife told me, Mike, you got to stop worrying. Just relax. And I'm thinking, I thought I was getting a grip on this. So it's a process in which we learn. In fact, that's what Paul tells us, isn't it? He says, I have what? I am, he doesn't say, I'm a really super guy, I'm an apostle, and therefore I'm content with all things. No, I'm content in every, he said, I've learned to be content in every situation. So it's something that we learn as believers as we move forward in our lives. Now, 
our situations um, that we face, whatever that may be that causes you anxiety, things that cause me anxiety, and um, are things that we need to just bring before God and say, God, I got to tell you the truth. I'm anxious about these things, and I need to learn from you this morning how it is that I can move from the process of being anxious to having the perfect peace that passes all understanding. It's perfect peace. It's supernatural peace that God says that we can have if we learn to apply it in our lives as his children. Now, um, a few years ago, gosh, it's been more than a few years ago now. It's been about 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago. I was in Destin or Panama City Beach, Florida for a large student conference. And it was high school students. And we were there. And there was, there were, I had, there was with me, we probably had 60 or 70 high school students from our group um, down in Florida. And we had gone up to to Panama City, Florida, up in the panhandle of Florida for kind of a spring break kind of deal. And there was a guy there, there was a bunch of guys there that were speaking. There were a big band there. I think Chris Tomlin was there. It was a big deal. There were about, um, I think it was about 1,800 students at this thing. And one of the guys, and I won't tell you his name because you, some of you may have heard of him, and if not, you would Google him and you could find him. So I, I don't want you to, to do that. But, um, but he but he stood up in front of the group of students and shared with, and he was about 40 years old at the time, and he shared with the group that about a year before that time, he had been told that he um, had cancer. And he shared with the group how he struggled through the whole cancer thing. And he actually said that, and he was a believer, and not only was he a believer, but he was a preacher, quote unquote. He was a leader. He was one of the guys that was leading this whole student conference. And he was just sharing from his heart, and he was sharing how he dealt with just anxiety and depression. And he said that while he was going through it, that he actually got so depressed that he couldn't get out of bed, and that he curled up in the fetal position. And, and he said people would come and pray over him, and he said, I don't want anything to do with God. I don't. You know, how is, it, how is it, God, that I could have cancer? Why is it that I have cancer? And he struggled with all these things. And then, and then, in the midst of that, as people came and prayed for him, God actually miraculously healed him, and the cancer left his body. Now, two things we can learn from that. It's not your faith that causes healing to take place in our lives, because he had none, okay? And he would be the first to tell you that. And the second thing that we can learn from that is, is that that is not the way as believers that we want to approach difficult circumstances in our lives. If we let outward circumstances, even our health, affect how it is and what it is that we believe about God, um, then we're going to be in a mess of trouble. And your life is going to be a mess. Because no dis most of you, I look around, there's a lot of young people in here, and school's back, and that's awesome, okay? But I've been living quite a lot while now, not as long as some of you, but longer than most of you. And life doesn't get easier. You would think it would, all right? It does not get easier. I've shared this before. My grandmother, when she was 80 years old, said, I just want to go home to be with Jesus. And I was like 20 when she told me that. And it had no comprehension. You know, I had places to go, people to see, things to do, all those kind of things when you're young and energetic. And the older and the closer I get to 80, I totally get it. Okay, I get my grandma, okay? Going home isn't that bad of a deal. So I tell you that story about that guy because afterwards, 
um, a guy came up and he spoke and, um, and all these cool things happened. And afterwards, we did this debriefing thing. And we were all sitting on the beach in Panama City. And we had broken down into small groups. And we were talking about what we had learned that night. And this one guy, um, his name was Kyle. He said, I just, he said, I'm really struggling here. And I thought he was going to talk about the message or something else in his own personal life. And he said, you know that thing that guy shared about how he was just, he was in pieces and just broken down where he couldn't hardly even function because he had cancer and he was fearful of that cancer and fearful of death. He said, I'm really struggling. He said, because that guy is somebody that I looked up to. And if he's facing life that way, how am I supposed to face life? I mean, he's a good Christian. He's a professional Christian. He gets paid to be a Christian. And I'm just some high school kid. What happens if I get cancer? Am I going to go to pieces too? And when we look at the scripture this morning, I'm going to help you hopefully understand how it is that we as children of God no longer have to live in fear. No matter if it's the fear of grades, the financial fears, or the fear of death. Because God has come to us in the person of Jesus Christ and redeemed us and brought us to a place where we can actually know the peace that passes all understanding and we can learn it. And there's three things I want us to see this morning as we learn. And these are three things that I want you to hold on to because I hold on to them, okay? And I repeat these things to myself every day now. The first one is know. The second one is thank. And the third one is think. Know, thank, think. All right? Say that five times fast. No thank, think, okay? No thank, think. And the concept, the first point, and the first principle or strategy to learn peace is no. And I got to tell you this, and you need to know that no, and I mean N-O, no, I mean K-N-O-W. <laughs> there you go. K-N-O-W. The no, the no has to come first before you can thank and before you can think. Look what Paul says here. And let me find a verse again. He says this in verse 5. He says, let, the, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. Stop. Right there. He says, the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. Now, what does he mean by that? Does he mean that the Lord is near, that Jesus is about ready to come? Well, he might have meant that, but I don't think that's what he meant, right? He means that the Lord is near. He means that the Lord is close. He said, you need to know that God is close. You need to know God so that you will know that he is close to you. Not only is he close to you, but he's all over you. And he's in the situation that you're in. And in the struggles that you're facing, God is all over that. He's in it with you. We need to understand when we talk about knowing God that we need to know the person of God. That we need to know that God loves us. And we know that, right? We know that God is love and he loves us. For those of us that are believers, we've experienced that and we believe that. That's pretty easy for us to believe, that God loves us. And sometimes that, that, that's hard for me to grasp too because I know who I am, right? And I'm going, whoa, God, I don't know why you love me, but I sure am thankful that you do. And it's easy for me to accept that, that God loves me. So we need to know that God loves us and that we need to know that God is good. We believe that God is good, right? 
So we know God is good, and we know that God loves us. So we know the person of God. So then as we begin to know God, we begin to saturate our, our thought processes. We know that God, as a person, he loves us, and his personality, that he is good. We also know that God has made us some serious promises. Romans 8.31 says this, that God is for us. Do you believe that God is for you? Yes. Say it. God is for me. Say that. God is for me. It doesn't even have to be us. God is for me. Um, we used to, when I did high school stuff, we were talking about this, and some of the girls got so excited about it, they actually made T-shirts that said, God is for me. God is for me. And they would wear those around. That's a beautiful thing, to know that God loves you, and his promise is, is that he is for you. Not only is his promise that he is for you, but he says this, that all things work together for the good of those who what? Love him and who have been called according to his purpose. So God has called you. If you know him, God has called you. And if he's called you, he's changed your heart that you might understand that and that you might love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so for those of us whom God loves, he is for us and he is working all things for our good. He, is, um, he, uh, he also tells us this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, he says, there is nothing that comes into our lives, no circumstance, no professor, no financial situation, no health situation that comes into our lives that we will not be able to bear. He says, for there's nothing that comes your way that you will not be able to bear. That God doesn't push anything in our lives that we cannot handle. And then there's also another promise he gives us is that he tells us in 1 Peter chapter 5.10 that the reason that we suffer and go through difficult times is because he's in the process of making us perfect. Gotta love that word, don't you? I mean, that's kind of a, a word that people are using a lot, right? I said to somebody, I said, hey, I did this and this and this, and they said, perfect. There's a commercial on TV, and I, they keep saying, perfect. It's kind of one of those go-to words now. You get something, they go, hey, here you go, this is done, perfect. That, it's a long way from perfect, okay? Perfect is a pretty big deal, but it's something that we've kind of dumped down. But God says this, that we, he is using the circumstances, the good and the bad in our lives, to make us perfect. And that's his perfect. Not the insurance company perfect. Not the, that sandwich was great perfect. But God's perfect. So we need to know that God, as a person, loves us and that he's good. That his promises are for us and that he's about us. But this is the one that it rests on. That we need to know that God is powerful. That God is powerful. That God is, here's a big, here's the thousand dollar word for the day. That God is sovereign. Sovereign. That God is in total control of all things. That there is nothing that doesn't come into your life that God not only has, not only allowed, but is in control of. Do you understand that? That God is perfect, that there's nothing and he is sovereign. And there's nothing that comes into this world or into your life or any circumstance that you will ever face that God is not in control of. Talking about the sovereignty of God, theologian, a guy named R.C. Sproul says this. He's talking about sovereignty. He says, all things are under God's rule and control. We need to understand that nothing happens without his direction or permission. God's work, God works not just some things, but all things according to his own counsel and his own will. His purposes are all-inclusive, and they are never thwarted. 
Nothing, nothing takes him by surprise. The sovereignty of God is not merely the thought that God has the power and the right to govern all things, but that he does so. Always he's in charge without any exception. Nothing takes him by surprise. Nothing happens without his will. In other words, God is not merely sovereign in principle, but he's sovereign in practice. Now, it's important for us to grasp that, especially when we face difficulties, that God is in control, that he lets every circumstance that we face come into our lives. And he's in control of that. But So when we face difficult things, we don't go, how is this happening to me? Why could God let this happen to me? What did I do to deserve this? You did a lot to deserve it, by the way. All right, truthfully. Whatever that may be, it's the grace of God that has kept you from, um, in a lot of ways, suffering a lot of things because we suffer the repercussions of our actions and our sins. But everything that comes into our life, God has allowed. God is sovereignly in control. We are chosen by God because of his sovereignty. We are redeemed by God because of his sovereignty. We are kept by God because of his sovereignty. He will glorify us because of his sovereignty. Every blessing in our lives and every trial in our lives is totally under the control of God. And Paul says this, know that God is near, be anxious about nothing. So when you're worried, just know God is here. Not only is God here, but God is in control. He's not just somebody that's next to me that's going to help me out if I make the effort. He is in control of all things. And the things, the good things in your lives, you know, we are psyched about that, those good things. And the bad things in our lives, we go, how could this be happening? Know this, God is allowing those circumstances to come into your life so that as you respond to them and you trust in him and you know he is near, that he will bring you peace. Know that God is near. Be anxious about nothing. God is near, be anxious about nothing. He is all over every circumstance of your life. Be anxious about nothing. This is the foundation for our peace. It's the first principle that you've got to grasp before we can go on to anything else. So you have to know, and then you have to thank. Look what he says. Rejoice in the Lord always. Know that the Lord is near. Be, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. He says this, thank him. In every situation, when you get in a situation where you, anxiety starts to come, so here it is, my angst this week, okay? My angst this week, I, I'm in sales, okay? I'm in sales this month, I sold a ton of stuff, okay? And you would think, because I sold a ton of stuff for a really big company, like a Fortune 500 company, that I would make a ton of money. Oh no, not so perfect, okay? For some reason, they've adjusted it around so that I just made the company a zillion dollars and they go, oh, congratulations, we're gonna send you a check for 500 bucks. And I'm like, what? I just sold 
$300,000 worth of stuff this month, and I'm going to get a check for 500 bucks. All right? So I'm explaining this to my wife. No, I'm not explaining it to her. I'm, I'm explaining my anxiety to her, how I'm frustrated over this, all right? And how I just don't think it's fair. And how are we going to, quote unquote, meet our needs if I'm only going to make $500 in commission this month, all right? And she said to me, my, this is, she said to me two days ago, you need to stop worrying about this. And I didn't tell her that I was preaching on this. We need to understand, listen, so what I have to do is I have to know that God is in charge, and then I have to thank him. I have to thank him for his promises. I have to thank him for his power. I have to thank him that he's perfectly working in my life, that he has a purpose for my life, that he is my hope for relief. You know, this is one of the things that I also do, and we'll talk about this in a minute. Um, He's my, hope for, he's my hope for relief. I need to thank him because not only do we need to thank him for that, but I need to remember, too, that, that he's never let me starve. He's always met my needs. In fact, the way, like in, with flying colors. And so he's my hope for glory. He is my promise for future blessing. Do you know this, that no matter what you pray, whether it's about the guy or the girl that you want to date or that you wish liked you or you're hoping they like you as much as you like, or whether it's your grades or how you're going to get your money or how, you're going, or how your family or with your kids, you know, the God, God always answers prayer. God always answers prayer. He always answers prayer by saying yes, and we like that, don't we? We like it when we pray and we say yes. Those are the, yes is, that's the answer to the prayer that testimonies are made out of, right? God answered my prayer, here it is, yes. Sometimes he says no. We don't like that. We don't like it when God says no because we think that we've got it figured out. You know, my life has been a series of me, and I'm a type A personality. My life has been a series of me making a plan for my life in a blueprint, sketches out, and it looks really good, handed to God and saying, there it is, God, you make it happen. All right? And God always, in every circumstance, shreds it up, drops it back on me and says, nah, I'm not going to do it that way. And I go, no, you don't understand. This is the perfect scenario. This is the way it should happen. And God says no. God says yes. He says no. He oftentimes says later. I have a friend. Um, she was 33 years old before she got married. She was like a beautiful girl, perfect girl, wanted to get married, but just felt like she could never find the perfect guy. And then when she was 33 years old, God dropped a guy in her life. And they've been married now for about 20 years. And um, she is blessed with children and grandchildren at some, because his, because his, um, her husband had a, a daughter before that. She's grandchildren now. And you're just like, wow, she is just so amazing. But she, she said, and she would say, had God given me what I wanted when I asked for it, it would have never been as beautiful as it is now. Sometimes he says later, and sometimes he says some other way some other way, but God always answers prayer. We want him to say yes, because we have that blueprint, right? We've got it figured out. Tim Keller says this, if God doesn't give us what we ask for in silver, he will give it to us in gold. He will give it to us in a different currency, which is always much better. We think we got it figured out. We face these anxious problems and we think, 
wow, if this will happen, therefore I will pray this and God will give it to me and all will be better. And sometimes he doesn't do it that way. But I will tell you this, God knows way more than we know, right? And we need to thank him for that. And we need to, as we request, make our request to him, in our anxiety, we need to thank him for who he is. We need to thank him that he's sovereign and we need to thank him that he loves us and he has only good for us and that what he gives us is for the best. And what he's doing in our life is for the best. It's for his glory and our good. And if God doesn't give it to us, let me say that in hindsight, you and I both, would probably ask God for different things than we had originally asked us when the areas that he said no, right? He said no, and we go, well, God, you messed this up, and why won't you answer my prayer? And truthfully, God gives us what we would have asked for had we known what he knows. And that's pretty impressive. So we need to, we need to know, we need to thank And finally, we need to think. He says this in verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. He says this. Think. Think about the big, big questions in life. When you've got issues, think about the big questions in life. Ask yourself this. Why am I here? What's the purpose in my life? Where am I going? What's ultimately going to happen? You know, that is totally contrary to the way that people who are not followers of Christ think. You know how they deal with anxiety? You don't think. You try to numb it down. You go to a movie. You go buy something. You medicate yourselves with drug or alcohol. You don't think. Because if you are not a believer in God, when you think, it leads to depression. Because there is ultimately no hope apart from God. But if you are a follower of God and a believer in Jesus Christ, Paul says this, think about the big stuff. Right now you're having issues, but think about the big stuff. Think about where you're going. Think about how much God loves you. Think about your purpose in life. Think about the big stuff. Because when you think about the big stuff, it brings you hope. Isn't that crazy? You're, you're, you're miserable. You're going through a really difficult time. Your needs are not being met. But when you and I think about who it is that we are and where it is that we're going and ultimately where it is that we're going to end up, all of that stuff goes by the wayside. He also says, think about the big stuff, but he says, think about that which is lovely. Think about that which is admirable. Think about that which is excellent. He says, think about your purpose in life but also think about your Savior. Think about Jesus. Think about, you know, it's, you know, we cannot just say, I'm going to love God. We just don't love something. We, we fall in love. We need to, listen, we need to work at making Jesus lovely to us. And the way that happens is for us to focus upon him and his redemptive work in our lives. Focus upon what it is he has done for us. I told you that I don't listen to music that much um, when I'm driving in my car, but here's the deal. Um, I found that when I'm anxious and I'm struggling, 
But if I put Pandora on and select the Guns N' Roses track, that is not true. If I select the Guns N' Roses track, that's just to drive that stuff out of my head and think about something crazy. If I put on the spa track, then I am peaceful and I fall into like a Zen mode and I don't really think at all except lovely thoughts, right? That's not true. But if I put on, honestly, this is what I do. I put on the, there's a thing called, there's a, there's a station called something hymns, like hymns. It's just hymns. I put on hymns and they're not like, it's not like praise songs, they're hymns. They're like old hymns. And, um, and I listen to the old hymns and I listen to the words from men and women who have walked with God hundreds of years before and worship. You know what I love about hymns? They're so full of theology. And they're focused on two things. Jesus and heaven. Jesus and heaven. Think about the ultimate purpose in your life. It's to glorify God. Think about your ultimate goal. It's to be with him in his kingdom. And ultimately, as you do those things, you will fall in love with Jesus and you will find him lovely. There's one of the hymns that's on that Pandora channel. It goes like this. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That's an old hymn, but that is truth that we would know that God is sovereign and in control of our lives, that we would thank him for every circumstance that comes into our life, even the difficult ones, because he's using those to make us and mold us into the very person of Christ and that we would think that we would think about where it is that we're going and who it is that we belong to and that we would think about who it is that we belong to and that we would find him lovely. And as we find him lovely, all of that stuff and the anxiety fades away. It works. It works. Paul says you can learn to do this. You can, it really does work. I want to share with you this. Do you guys know who um, Horatio Sapford is? Any idea? That's because he lived in 1871, so I figured that uh, you guys would all know that, right? Um, Horatio Safford, he had a wife named Anna. In 1871, he had four little girls and a little boy. But in 1871, his little boy died. And then immediately as they were mourning him, there was a great fire in Chicago. You've heard about the Chicago fire, right? Yeah, okay, there's teaching some American history still. There's a Chicago fire, and all of Chicago burnt down, and he lost his entire fortune for the most part. And, um, and so here he is, he loses his son, and he, then his fortune's gone. And so in the midst of it, his family decides that they're going to go on holiday or vacation, and they're going to go visit some family that's over in England. And so they drive to New York, and wherever, get to New York, and they go to get on the ship, and when he was getting on the ship with his wife and his four little girls, he got a telegram that said, hey, you need to stick around for a little longer. There's a business deal that's really important. And so he put his wife and his four little girls on the ship, and he stayed back in New York to finish the business. He was going to follow them a few weeks later. And um, when uh, his wife and her four little girls were in a ship, their ship collided into another ship. And um, that ship sank. 
And when the rescuers were there, they found his wife, Anna. She was unconscious and she was floating on some debris and they picked her up and they took her to England and she sent this telegram back to her husband. It said, saved alone, what shall I do? And Horatio got on a ship and as fast as he could, he went over to England to comfort his wife and to bring her back to the United States. And while he was on that ship, the captain came to him and said, I want you to know this is the place where the ship went down where your four little girls drowned. They were in three, the ocean was three miles deep at that location. And as he sat there on the deck over that area where that ship went down, he penned these words. It's become a hymn. He said, when peace like a river attends my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, you, God, have taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. What the heck? How can he write that? What is he thinking? I mean, he's over the area where his four little girls have died. His son has died. He's lost all of his fortune. His wife is in England weeping all by herself, and he's going there just to comfort her. All this is on. How is it that he could write this? How can he write it as well with my soul? He goes on and he says this. Though Satan should buffet, though trial should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate. And he shed his own blood for my soul. Then he says, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole. It's nailed to the cross. I bear it no more. It is well with my soul. You know how it is that he can do that? Because he knows his God. And he's learned to thank his God in every circumstance. And he thinks, and he thinks through the big picture. No, thank, think. No, thank, think it works and you too can learn to have supernatural contentment. Even as Paul says, I have learned to be content in all things, whether in plenty, whether in want. And Paul wrote that while he was in prison in fear of torture and execution. I believe that God would be able to help us get through what we're going through, don't you think? Because our God is big. He is sovereign, and he loves us, and he cares for us, and he is good. Know that. Thank him for it. And think about those things, specifically how much Jesus loves you. And the things of this earth will become strangely dim as you see Jesus. And that's the miracle of God's work in our lives. Because those of, it are in, uh, those of us that in Christ have hope. Let's pray. God, teach us to know you. Not just know concepts about you, but know you. 
that you are near and that you were all over our circumstances. Help us to thank you for the redemptive work you've done in our lives and your promises to us and that you will work in our circumstances to cause all things to work for our, your glory and our good. And God, help us to think about life, not to numb it down with music and try to fill up all of our time and it, with just stuff that distracts us from you, but help us to find time to think, especially in those times when we're struggling through things. Think about how good you are and how much you love us and that you have a perfect plan for our lives. And ultimately, we will find ourselves standing before you in glory where you will wipe away every tear, every concern, every worry, and we will see the face of Jesus who loved us and gave himself for us, who gave up his peace so that we could have peace. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Holy Spirit, make, make us people who know perfect peace for our sakes and your glory. Amen.